Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. Sounds easy, doesn't it? Don't worry, just be happy. Well, sometimes happiness is not a choice. Um, However, worry is every time. Worry is a choice we make. We think we we can't get around worry sometimes, but it it is indeed a choice. And we're going to look at worry today from uh, Luke chapter 12, if you want to turn there. In light of this series we're going to be looking at for the next six weeks called Contentment in the Chaos. And whether it's political, whether it's social, whether it's financial, whether it's global, whether it's physical, whether it's viral, whether it's racial, whether it's financial, whether it's, we find ourselves in chaos. I don't think any of us chose to be here, but that's where we find ourselves today. So how do we navigate chaos? And is the believer supposed to navigate that with a level of contentment, finding a a place of rest, a place of certainty, a place of certitude? Yes, we are. I want us to see that in these coming weeks. But today, step number one to get there is we're going to have to look at worry and say, you've got to go. You can't be a part of my life anymore. If I'm to find a place of contentment in the culture we find ourselves in, worry's got to go. So turn to Luke chapter 12. Look with me, if you will, to verses 22 to 31. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you'll wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you by worrying about who who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Four things today I want us to glean from this text in Luke 12 about worry. And the first is this, and it's obvious. Worries for the birds. Look at 22 to 24 again with me. He said to his disciples, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, about your body, what you'll wear. Your life is more than food and your body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap, yet they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds. How much more valuable are you than birds? He's saying here that at the root of worry is this sense of value to God. The things God values. This is foundational teaching about faith and this is foundational teaching that's vitally important for you to hear at church but it's also vitally important for you to hear at home. It's vitally important that this come out of the 
the, the fact that this has been sown into you really from, from the get-go, from birth. Um, in fact, Dobson says that a value system in a child's life is shaped within the first six years of their life. That little value system is formed after that. It's vitally important that, that kids learn in those first six years what, what to value, what is a value, and what isn't. Those things are shaped in those early years. So the culture of chaos we find ourselves in is, and, and don't miss this, we're in a battle over values. That's what this is about. We're in a, bat- a battle over what we value, about what is important and what isn't, what should stand and what should be let go, what we should hang on to and what, what should grow, blow away like the dust. This is a values war we're in. It's a values conflict we're in in our culture, and that's why the chaos we're seeing is as it is, is because we're weighing these values against what we've been taught. We're weigh- weighing these values against what, what, what we've learned in school, what we've ha- against our education, against our life experience, against, against what mom and dad said, against what God's word says. And here's this, here's this tension we find ourselves, this friction this, we find ourselves in, this chaos that says, what's a value? What do we believe? What do we nail down to be absolutely true every time, 10 times out of 10? And that's where we find ourselves today. So get this. If we see, our, if we see God as the boss instead of our father, so this beautiful father we just sang about, if we see him as judge instead of redeemer, if we see him as out there somewhere, Instead of in here, we're going to miss what he values most. And we're going to see ourselves as devalued. The enemy wants that to happen. He's seeing that that happens because he wants us to see, to see God as boss, as judge, as ogre, as out there, rather than father, friend, lover, as in here. Because if we see him that way, we understand the value that he has, that he places on our lives. And if we don't, uh, it, it, that is hard, hard, really hard to see. So who gives greater value to something? It's the person who owns it. When I was uh, playing baseball at Christenberry Junior High, we had uh, some team bats, probably, I don't know, six or eight bats that the team would use and we'd share bats. And uh, none, of the, none of the bats I really liked or I really felt like fit me very well. And so I stuck around after a Fulton baseball practice one day. They were practicing at Christenberry and... Stuck around after practice, practice because uh, one of the bats broke they were using. And you ladies won't get this. Some of you guys may not either. But the bat that broke was it actually just cracked. was a Mac 44 bat. It was Willie McCovey played at that time, and his number was 44. And so they called the bat Mac 44. It had a wide, fat barrel on the end that made contact with the ball and a really skinny handle on the, on the bottom. It was a 34-inch bat and really too heavy and too long for me. So I, after the team left, I grabbed the bat, I took it home. I, it, the, the area where it was split around where the label is, I pulled, peeled back, stuck some wood, squ- squ- uh, squeezed some wood glue in there, stuck a couple of small screws through the wood gl- glue, put some paste um, shoe polish, brown paste shoe polish on it so it looked like pine tar, cover up the screws because you're not supposed to use a bat with screws. Don't, 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 shoo, don't do that. Covered up the pine tar. I cut off the nut, cut about two inches off the nub end of the bat, so it's, it was smaller and easier easier to wield. I had an old bat at home that I cut the nub off it and screwed and glued a new nub on after I cut a couple inches off the bat. The first game I used that bat, I hit home run. The first time up. Now, I wish that were, I could tell you that story recurred over and over and over again, but it didn't. But all I have to say is, I valued that bat that they tossed away as broken. 
and unusable because it fit me. It fit my hands. It, the, the, the length fit me. It, it was just and after I modified it a little bit, it was customized for me. And, and, and I was the one who brought value to it, not the person who discarded it. God looks at us that way. Sometimes when we're seemingly broken and unusable, He says, you have value to me and value to the kingdom. I'm glad he's the one defining that and not us, aren't you? Worries for the birds because he values us greater than the birds. Secondly, worry is a killing machine. Look at verses 25 and 26 with me. He says this, um, you, who, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Who of you can add a single hour to his life? We think that worry is about preservation. We think it's about hanging on, about, about our betterment, but it isn't. Worry is just the opposite of preservation. In fact, worry sucks the life out of us, and the stress that it brings on leads to, to, to heart disease, to stroke, to diabetes. The, the, the stress that's caused by worry, it not only sucks the physical life out of us, but the mental life out of us as well, worry does. Uh, I want you to think of some folks you know, perhaps even in your family or friends that have suffered from mental illness, and I, I would guarantee you just about in every case, one ingredient in that mental illness has, is, is centered around worry. That worry has found its way into that heart, into that mind, and into that life in some way, and has found a lodging place that says, this is who you are, this is all you're ever going to be, and the more you fret about it, better you're going to be at it. And I'm going to tell you, that's the voice of the enemy speaking to us because it's not who we are. It's not who God's defined us to be. And, and, and it's not the more we fret about it, the more the better we, that, that, that defines us. It's who he's defined us to be that changes us and causes us to see our, our life through a different lens. But worry is, is not only physical, it's mental. Now spiritually, the math looks like this. The greater your worry, the lesser your God. The lesser your worry the greater your God. If we'll start to see, through, see, see ourselves and our life through the lens that he sees us through, we'll find a lot less to worry about. We'll find ourselves in, in, in far better health, find ourselves in a far better mental state of mind, find ourselves in, in a better social uh, state of social existence to the extent that we can begin to expose and talk about him in, in ways that are contagious to other folks. Why? Because we're not worried about their response. We're not worried about how we're perceived. We're not worried about what they say about us when we walk away. So consequently, our witness and our influence grows. Instead of worry becoming a killing machine, it becomes a life giver to others. But worry is for the birds. It's a killing machine, secondly. But thirdly, worry ruins our self-image. Look at verses 27 and 28 with me. Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his splendor was... Uh, dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Not even Solomon, he says, was dressed like one of these. The beauty industry in America, and just in America, is a $300 billion plus industry. We could, we could feed the entire world on just the beauty industry in, in America. Um, it's, 
it is unimaginable that that's true, but it is. In, in, in this image-conscious society we, that we live in, the sharpest and the most beautiful, the loveliest among us, among us uh, what, what we're missing out on, though, is that this, the, the greatest, ladies, can I tell you this? The greatest beauty secret that there is is contentment. It's the greatest beauty secret. I, of course, should not be the one sharing this with you as well. There they go. The greatest beauty secret you can have is, is contentment because you can't hide discontent with makeup. You can't hide a broken spirit with makeup or with a, with a new dress. Um, in fact, we can't hide a broken spirit with much of anything. There, there's, here's another beauty tip, ladies, I want to give you. You ready for this? Worry is not worth the wrinkles it causes. It's just not. And that's true of men as well, not just ladies. But worry is never worth the wrinkles it causes. Most, uh, most men's self-image is tied to what we own or what we possess. That's why men worry more about the debt that they're in because of what they own and what they possess than, than most anything else than, than we are worried about image or how we look for the most part. But a content heart and a content spirit radiates to a person's exterior. It's an inside-out thing that he's talking about here. This, this sense of of, 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 of seeing our value, of understanding that it's a killing machine. But this idea of self-image is from the inside out. It's designed for, for worry to be, to be put away in our mind and in our heart. And as that comes out, confidence grows on the exterior because the worry is gone on the interior. And here's the thing. Most people can see through the packaging anyway. I mean, most, most folks can see through the exterior facade that most of us have. And, and, and ladies, uh, you, you can't hide that with makeup. And guys, we can't hide that with more stuff. People can see through that anyway. They can see whether the worry, whether worry grips us and guides and directs our life or whether our self-image is found in Christ and not in what we own or what we possess or what we look like. But worry's for the birds. It's a killing machine. Worry ruins our self-image. Fourthly, worry grows out of confusing needs and wants. It grows out of confusing needs with wants. Look at 29 to 31 with me. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things. And watch this. Your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Your father knows you need these things. In the culture of me, and that's where we find ourselves in, in this culture, in the culture of me, the lines are blurred between want and need easily and quickly, and the enemy sees to that as quickly as he can. Uh, one, of the, one of the great things that I, that I learned about uh, in my first trip to Nicaragua and in every trip since is it gives me, every time I go, a healthy dose of perspective. It helps me see want from need. It helps me see that my need is shelter, that my need may be transportation, that my need may be food. What I want However, it's something altogether different from those things. And as I'm, as I'm reminded of the things that I really need from the things that I want, that perspective is a powerful teacher. And that perspective, I hope, comes across to you as, as, as I try and expose these things to you from, from our trips there and from, from what God does with so little, does so much in the lives of folks there. Um, and that's, as I say, a great teacher because missions... Missions isn't about sending a bunch, throwing a bunch of money at something. And we're funding what's going on there, even though we can't go this year. But 
or helping to anyway. But missions is not about money. Missions is about mileage. Missions is about investing. Missions is about me investing myself in what God's doing here, there, and around the world. And I want you to see that, see the, see the value in that, because those kinds of, of situations, whether it's plugging in and becoming a safe family for a, for a child in need, that we uh, cooperate with safe families together, whether it's heading over to Angelic to, to help a family kind of get re-equipped or get some food or get, get some things after being burned out or help a homeless family get in, in a house for the very first time and get some of their needs met or sharing a Bible study with someone else. Regardless of, of, of whether it's here, there, or everywhere, there is, there's great need to be met, and, and the more you and I step into those needs, the more our, our, our needs and wants become clear to us of what it should be valued and important to us. Uh, now, how do we get there? How, how, do, how, does, how do we get to this, this dichotomy separating the, uh, the needs from wants? Verse 31 speaks to this. Seek his kingdom. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well in essence. Seek his kingdom, and everything else will fall into place. Seek his kingdom first. And, and start, in essence, start looking at your life through an eternal lens and hang on to kingdom things and let the rest go. You'll start to see these things, to, 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 this division that occurs between need and want. And the more we seek kingdom things, the wider that division grows between need and want. So how do we get there? We seek his kingdom. In short, what's that look like? I can, I can give it to you in a word. Simplify. If you and I will learn to simplify our life, it would be far easier to see this, this difference between need and want. If we can simplify our life to, 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 from the standpoint of what I, exactly what I need to make my life work, for God to be able to use me to bring glory to himself and feed my family and nourish and cherish those around me, what are the things I really need to do that? Once I see through the internal lens, God will show me those things clearly, and that will be, be far easier to implement if I can simplify. Now, I want to tell you who doesn't want simplifying to happen in your life, the enemy. He wants, your, he wants your schedule full. He wants your mind cluttered. He wants your relationships struggling. He wants you financially in a hard place. He wants turmoil at every hand. If we'll simplify those things, we'll start to see the Lord's pathway, the, the Lord's way through things, and our worry about all those things he wanted to manip manipulate us into seeing and doing falls and fades away. We have to learn to simplify, and it's a, it's, it's, it's a daily priority. It's not something we can do in usually 24 hours. It takes a process of changing our mind about how we see stuff, about how we see ourselves, about how we see relationships, about how we see the kingdom, about how we see the culture, about how we see work. It's a process of changing our minds about how we see those things and simplifying our thinking to the extent that God can use us simply in ways that we could, were too cluttered to see before. God will work in those ways if we give him room and simplify. So, to wrap up, step one in finding contentment in the midst of the chaos is showing worry the door. And that's a choice we make. As I said, sometimes happiness is not a choice. Worry is always a choice. Step one in finding contentment in, in the chaos is showing worry the door. Now, why do we do that? Because it's a cancer, worry is. It never just finds a lodging place and stays right there. It wants to grow, and the enemy will see that it grows in your heart, in your mind, and in your circumstances. And it's not just unhealthy for you. It's physically unhealthy. It's mentally unhealthy. But it breeds a spirit of negativity. I would submit to you, most of the folks that you're around that are pessimistic and negative have a healthy dose of worry in their life. 
If you'll deal with the worry, the pessimism and the negativity will find its way out. But we've got to deal with the worry first and let the, let, let the worry go and learn to simplify. So step number one, finding contentment in the chaos is showing worry the door. Step number two we'll look at next week, and that is learning to see envy as a liar. Because envy is a liar. And we'll look at that next week. Let's pray. Father, today, as, as you've, you've reminded us about the fact, this fact that um, you value us, you give value to us far beyond what our minds can imagine. As you look into this room today, you, you value our, our, the gifts and abilities and strength you've given us. You value our minds, our hearts, our possessions. You value our families. You value the, the vocations you've given us to, to walk through. You value the relationships you've placed around us to pour into and, and, and they into us. You value us a great deal to the extent that <clears throat> beyond all else, we should look at the cross today to see our value. We should look at the cross and you're, you're sending your son there for our sin, for my sin, to see our value this morning, to say, I give my best for your worst, to clean you up, to make you usable, to, to, to help you find a place of service and a place of, of rest in me, a place of contentment in me. Would you teach us, first of all, to desire to walk in contentment in the midst of a chaotic culture that we find ourselves in? And looking at step one, to, to feed on that desire is to deal with this idea of worry, to deal with this idea of, 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 of having our minds and our hearts anxious about things we can never control, about tomorrow, about next month, about next year, about money, about work, about, about relationships. The enemy is the source of all worry in us, and when we learn to push back against him and find a place where we simplify, a place where we, where we see what worry is doing to us physically and mentally and emotionally, spiritually, and learning to simplify our life to where it finds the door. That's a decision we make today that needs to start in this room and in our hearts. Today, would you give us the, the courage and the urgency to do that very thing, is to say, no more will worry control me. No, no more will it manipulate my, my thinking, my lifestyle. I'm going to let it find the door today. God, will you give us the strength and the courage to take that first step today? You'll use it to grow us. You'll use it to help us see the difference from needs and wants more clearly. You'll use it to help us simplify. You'll use it to help us see the value, how, how deeply we're loved by you. If we'll show worry the door. Give us the courage today to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Crosspoint Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.